all the all the baby names or all the illnesses for babies sound like they're from the 1500s. I swear to I God. I was going to say, thrush sounds like such an old time. He's disease. been burdened with the thrush. What is your, is your baby a Victorian barber? <laughs> yes, he is. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who went by the stage name Buttercup when he danced in college, my brother Mike. (laughs) This is why I should always read the intros before we get on, because I didn't read this one, and I don't have a witty comeback. You gotta. It's what okay. am I supposed to say? It's okay, Buttercup. You're all right. Sometimes you gotta. You gotta do what you gotta do to feed yourself. All right. I got a mouth to feed. All right. It was a mesh tank top, cut off mm-hmm. jean shorts, and the just most mischievous <laughs> smile you ever did see. That's right. You know, it told and, me I could be a star. All right. So, you know, people uh, <laughs> think it's about the physicality. It's really about the personality behind the physicality. It's a, mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. what's inside, not necessarily what's outside. That's when right. you're on that stage. When you're moving and dancing and sweating and everything's right. coming out and it's all—it's all emotion. It's all emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel um, that. The John, I mean, the customer. You truly <laughs> are. We're just a small town girl on a Saturday night. I was for yeah, the man. fight of your life. Right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, on this week's episode, we'll discuss the hiring of new pitching coach Brian Sweeney, the Rule Five Draft. Before we go on to a wonderful interview with Royals pitching prospect Alec. Marsh. That's right. Woo! During our spotlight segment tonight, we'll air an interview I did with Alec alongside Royals Farm Reports' Alex Duval. It was very insightful. We touched on a lot of cool things about the Royals pitching development and what's been changing and how what Alec thinks about those changes. Uh, spoiler alert, you know, he's, you know, very excited about those changes. And so, we, uh, yeah, we're going to get to hear that interview that we did. Normally, you know, we don't interview players and coaches. And the reason that we don't do that is because we're looking for uh, a certain type of insight that oftentimes they're coached not to provide. They're sort of coach speak and player speak. We're not very interested in that. But I'll say Alec was extremely articulate, was very insightful, didn't, you know, just do the surface level stuff. He went deep into explaining a lot of good stuff about pitching development and his process and what he's been working on, which is very exciting for this offseason. So uh, look forward to that in the spotlight segment. But before that, we're going to get to rule five stuff, pitching coach changes and a few other things. Mike, you ready to get started? I'm super excited. All right, then let's start with some coaching news. The big news of since the last time we met with you about a month ago is the Royals finally hired their new pitching coach. They also hired an assistant pitching coach. They hired Brian Sweeney to be the new pitching coach for the Kansas City Royals. Um, he comes from the uh, Cleveland Guardians system where he was an, a bullpen coach for the last few years uh, from New York originally. Four, and he has years. It was four years. Yeah. Well, was, was that all bullpen coach or was he doing some other uh, things? No. Well, no, it was four years as a bullpen coach. I think he was there for a year before that. Uh, okay. I think they specifically mentioned him before that doing uh, planning, like game planning, daily game okay. planning stuff for him. So kind of a special assistant. Oh, okay. Uh, he's from New York originally. You can actually, you can really hear it when he speaks. I listened to an interview that he did. He's got that awesome New York accent that I really like. Oh, yeah. Um, mostly played in minor leagues and independent ball that he did have four seasons on and off in the major leagues played a lot with uh, Seattle in that time. Um, he was, the, he coached in the Phillies system as a pitching coach for, for a period of time. Um, a guy who, whose reputation is built on being both analytically minded, but really good at sort of communicating with players and working with players and working on mechanical things and, and stuff like that. Every time you hear people talk about him, they say, 
This guy can take that information that exists in the analytics. He understands it really well, but he can make it really easy and accessible for players to, to take in, which was great to hear. Um, along with him, the Royals hired Zach Bovey to be the assistant pitching coach. He's been the Twins assistant pitching coordinator for the last, or he's been in their system for the last four years. Most recently, he was their assistant pitching coordinator. Another guy who has a strong reputation in the use of analytics. Mike, what do you think about these two hires as a, as a whole and what it means for the Royals major league pitching development, I guess, because I'm going to start talking about the major leagues like they're the finishing school. They are the end of your development because I don't, you know, what do you think about the the hiring of these two guys? I don't know much about Zach Bovey, uh, but if you remember, I don't want to call myself a prophet or anything, but I put out that Brian Sweeney should be a target of the Royals back in what, the end of uh, October? I don't remember when. End of September? It was, yeah, it was the beginning of October when, when we did our season review episode, we talked about pitching coach candidates and you brought up Brian Sweeney. Actually, we've talked about manager and pitching coach candidates. You brought up Quatrero and Brian Sweeney. So you actually did nail both of those two for two. Uh, I want my those. nickname to be the prophet. All right. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I think it's a strong hire largely because of some of the things that you mentioned. One, he's coming from an organization that you would love to emulate if you're the Royals because they don't spend a ton of money in draft capital on pitchers, but they always have strong starting pitching and usually strong bullpens as well. So I I love that he comes from that tradition. Also, if you look deeper into his background, at least in the the article that I read, it talks a lot about how he was not really strong enough. Like he wasn't a strong enough pitching prospect to ever get opportunities. So he had to do some things with analytics. He had to do some things with mechanics and understanding his own mechanics to give him that edge to even see sniff major league baseball. And that's the kind of guy that I guess that I like. It also mentioned the game planning part of that, which I think is so big. You know, I love the idea that you're going to have a guy that has experience already writing up game plans for the the guardians who are one of the best at, at attacking hitters and knowing pitch, pitch uses that you need to have and all this sort of stuff. So that's really exciting to me. I think Brian Sweeney is going to have a lot to work with in these young arms and have a very positive impact. Like I said, I don't know much about Zach Bovey, but he does come from the twins who have also had a very, uh, been able to do a lot with not a whole lot of uh, capital, not a whole lot of spending. So good, good on them for going out and getting both these guys. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to think about, right? Remember that the Royals took this strategy in the draft this last year where they were taking bats with their, their first two picks. They were sort of bats early pitching later. And it's interesting because the guardians, you'll see that they don't spend, they don't have great pitching because they spend all of their top draft picks on pitchers. It doesn't work that way. They find a lot of value later in the draft on pitching by identifying traits that they need or that they that they think they can work with and then developing them really, really well. And I, I'm hoping that that's something like what we're seeing the Royals turn into, where it's going to be like, we're going to find that excess value in pitching later in the draft and then develop those guys into useful pieces that, you know, through guys like Sweeney and Bovey and Justin Friedman, who we're going to talk about in a little bit earlier or a little bit later, and who Alec Marsh brought up repeatedly in our interview. You know, these are the people we really need to be um, the forefront of our development if we're going to turn into what seemingly John Sherman wants the Royals to turn into, which is a pitching factory that pumps out pitchers that always keep us competitive. Yeah, gosh, I would love that. That would be that. That is the way you stay competitive, not 
have the two years where you're really competitive and five years where you lose 100 games. If you can produce that starting pitching, you can stay competitive year after year after year. I think another thing that's interesting about both of these guys, when you hear people talk about them, is there seems to be a pattern in the type of person they're trying to hire now in coaching and player development. And the number one pattern is obviously very data literate. These people seem to all have great reputations when it comes to understanding analytics and using data and player development. And then two, and I like this one too, they all seem to be praised for their communication. They seem like they're all teachers at heart. They know how to communicate these complicated things in fairly simple terms so players can understand them and don't feel overloaded by information. And I think that's going to be really valuable. Um, Another theme, honestly, that uh, Marsh will bring up in our interview is the ways in which it can feel like sometimes data gets overbearing and overwhelming and how the Royals are trying to make that simpler for players to understand. I like that a lot. One of the things that scared me a little bit in the last month or so, it just happened about a week ago, uh, JG Piccola and Matt Quattrero both went down to the winter meetings. Everybody's excited. Ooh, are the Royals going to make deals? Are the Royals going to make deals? They didn't make any deals, so just just take it easy. Just calm down, okay? What they did was they talked to the media quite a bit. <laughs> and so instead of making deals, they were talking about why they didn't want to necessarily make deals. And... One of the quotes that J.J. Piccolo came up with in an article from Anthony, Kish, uh, I'm going to call it, Mike, what do we, how do we say that in the last name? Castrovince. Castrovince. That's what we're going to say. An article from Anthony Castrovince on MLB.com. In it, J.J. came out with this quote. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to talk about why it scared the crap out of me. J.J. said, quote, you know about what's been, or, you know about what's been said about our pitching, J.J. Piccolo said. Then he went on to say, we don't feel like our guys have had a hard time getting through the minor leagues. It's really the big leagues that's been the hurdle for us. So simplifying things in the major leagues is the focus. It sounds so simple, but it's really throwing strike one. Mike, why might that scare the living crap out of me? It scares the living crap out of you because the Royals had one of the worst minor league pitching systems in minor league baseball all last year. They didn't have one prospect pitching prospect perform exceptionally well in minor league baseball last year. Yeah. And you look and if at, you've seen the rankings, if oh, you look at the rankings oh. for their leagues, they were in, it gets even worse. You're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think was it double a, I think it was double a, they were 30th out of 30 Somebody. teams in their, in that, in, in that, in double a, I'm going to look this like, up. Cause really, I want to really give credit really. to this person. Jeff Wayman is his name on Twitter. Give him a follow at pets and pucks. He does a lot of, um, writing about the Royals and things. And uh, he came out with this. uh, He he went and looked up every Royals affiliate in 2022. In 2022, all the Royals minor league teams combined walked four and a half batters per per nine innings cumulatively. Four and a half per nine, right? As an entire system, that is atrocious. Very, very bad. And so, yeah, it's, it's not good. The truth is, it's not just on the pitching side. It's not just the major leagues. And that's why that quote really scares me. It is the major leagues. It is the minor leagues. They're having issues up and down the system with pitching development. And the fact that he isn't acknowledging it really scares me because we knew during the Dayton Moore era, one of the the great criticisms against Dayton Moore is he just wasn't that aware of his own team and his own system. He, He evaluated it much better than the, than the public does public media than other teams did. He just had a much higher opinion of his own guys than anyone else did. And that caused big problems. You have to accurately evaluate your own team. And right now that comment makes me like, 
JJ, uh, did you watch any of these minor league games? Have you looked at these minor league numbers? They're not good, buddy. Just because guys can get to the majors sometimes, that's not great. I think he's really commenting there on that group of college pitchers from that 2016 draft because they cruised some because they performed well, others because they were put in situations where they had to be promoted and some just were mistakes. And so like, I think, yeah, those guys cruise through the minors. Everything after that has been struggle fest. Like you got guys who will do really well at one level, get promoted and be destroyed. You've got guys who have trouble staying healthy, you know, it, it hasn't looked all that good. You haven't seen a lot of progress with anybody after that group from 2016. Um, now, hopefully that changes. And we've seen kind of time periods where it's like, okay, this guy had a good year. You know, two years ago, we had some guys that had really good years in uh, Alec Marsh, Jonathan Bolin, Drew Parrish, you know, some of those guys. But move forward one year. And the consistency, I guess, hasn't been there. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. The consistency hasn't been there at the minor league level. And so, yeah, that's a little bit scary to me. And and maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, it is a soundbite. It is a quote. There's, you can't be fully articulate in a news article somebody else is writing about you and that sort of thing. I will say that I think a large part of the issue is – even with those guys who cruised through the minors, the Jackson Coars, the the Brady Singers, you know Chris Bubich and, and all that, Hernandez. Even with those, Hernandez, Hernandez skipping Lynch, levels, Bubich yeah. skipping, skipping levels. Yeah. Even with those guys, I think the Royals aired. I think they aired majorly having them skip levels and moving them forward so fast. But I think the big part of the air was they didn't understand what was actually going to make them successful at the next level. They let them move on despite the fact that they weren't doing things that were necessarily going to make them effective at the next level. And, you know, I think that's the big, you know, the minor leagues isn't for just being successful and winning or, or being, you know, it's for doing what's going to make you successful in the major leagues. And right now they just haven't done that enough. And you see that it's normal for players to struggle making that transition. It's not normal for them to struggle as much as the Royals have struggled making that transition. And so it's something I hope we, as we sort of see moving forward, that's just something that they're saying publicly, but also trying to do some things to address that pitching development in the minor leagues. And I, I think that they're doing it, but maybe uh, I, we'll see if they're doing it aggressively enough. I think uh, Chris Bubich is the perfect case study for that, that argument right there. He, he had a devastating changeup coming out of college and in minor league baseball, that will get you phenomenal success and great numbers and it'll look like, well, he led minor league baseball in strikeouts. I mean, the guy was untouchable. But if you were actually watching and you knew what makes you successful at the major league level, nobody's going to go, well, he's already got what it takes to be at the major league level. But they moved him along anyway, just because he was having success and he had the numbers. What you need to be telling him is, don't throw that change up. You need to be working on location with your fastball. You need to be working on your other, your breaking ball, whatever whatever it's going to be for him. If it's the curveball or if he develops a slider, whatever. But they need to be. They should have been having him do that instead of leaning on that changeup that he was already comfortable with for so long. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, and it, we are recording on Wednesday, December seventh. Yesterday, the Royals participated in Major League Baseball's first ever MLB draft lottery, and you can tell that the Royals are a 
cursed team to some degree with the outcome of this draft lottery. The Royals had the fifth best odds to get the top overall pick. Instead, they ended up with the eighth pick. Damn it. (laughs) So not only did they, so they would have had the best odds, I guess you could say, to get the fifth pick. They ended up with the eighth pick. Um, And so, yeah, not tremendous. Uh, They lost about $1 million worth of bonus pool money because of falling those three spots. And as a result, they will not have the fifth best pick as they had the fifth worst record. So the first time ever with the draft lottery and it kind of kicks the Royals right in the butt. Uh, Mike, I know. Do you have any thoughts on the draft lottery? How it turned out? Any of that? Yeah, th- my biggest thing is the money is the biggest problem. Like that's mm-hmm. the the killer is that your draft pool gets smaller. Major League Baseball draft is so different from something like the NBA, where they also do a lottery system. And the NBA, who the best players coming in or coming out are usually pretty well defined. You know, you'll get some outliers there and things like that. And development's also important. I don't want to put that down or anything, but. You know, when LeBron James come out comes out, you know he's going to be the number one pick. So when you get that lottery pick, it's going to be huge, right? The best three players are usually pretty well known. Major League Baseball draft is nothing like that because development is so much more important than who you're taking. But the the talent level at the top is is that the thing the Royals have been able to do is use that pool money, you know, strategically, and this hurts them with that because they'll get less of it. So it, it does suck, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to get a talented guy at eight, you know? Right. Still has more to do with how you're scouting and what your model is and all that sort of stuff. The communication between your player development and your scouting program and things like that. So, but yeah, it does kind of suck to first year of the lottery and the Royals end up on the wrong side of it. Uh, classic, classic Royals. Class. Um, I about put that out there. Classic Royals. Also this, so yesterday was December 6th. Today was December 7th. And today was the last day of the winter meetings, which means the Rule 5 draft happened. I held our episode until today so that we could cover what happened in the Rule 5 draft. For the Royals, virtually nothing. Um, The Royals... (laughs) Super anticlimactic. I held it for a whole day. What nah, happened? Nah, nothing. Happened. Uh, <laughs> the Royal, but uh, you know what would have happened? If we would have ran the episode yesterday, they would have drafted three dudes in the Rule 5 draft today or something crazy. They'd have cut Ryan O'Hearn and drafted somebody. <laughs> cut Ryan O'Hearn and drafted the next the next Nolan Ryan in the in the Rule 5 draft. Um, no. So the Royals went into the draft today, the Rule 5 draft, with a full 40-man roster, meaning they were not eligible to select someone. None of their draft eligible players were selected either. I was a little worried that TJ Sikama might be, or maybe, uh, so there was some talk that Logan Porter might be taken, but he wasn't taken either. Mike, for me, this was a missed opportunity to collect some talent from a, what I thought was a strong Rule 5 pool this year. It looked like a really good Rule 5 pool to me. How do you feel about the Royals' decision to not draft at all, to keep their 40-man full, and to just let this opportunity go by? What I don't understand is for a team like the Royals, it never hurts to draft a guy in the Rule 5. You can go, okay, we'll take the guy who's be- the pitcher who is best. Let's just take him, you know, because who we like the best. Let's just take him. Because even if you get it, yes, you have to keep him on your your uh, major league roster for whatever, however length of time. It's the whole season. It's the whole season. Yeah, basically. Okay. But, but, okay. Let's say you do that and then you realize, okay, this isn't going to work out. Just get rid of them. Just send them back. It's not that big a deal. You know? Um, yes, you would have to get someone off your 40 man. But what you, all you have to do is go to your 40 man, start picking out dudes and go, is he going to be a part of the next successful Royals team? If the answer is no, replace him with a guy in the 40 man or replace him with a guy in the rule five draft. 
he could be a part of the next successful Royals team. You never know. Joaquin Soria, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I have to say. Joaquin Soria. Even Brad Keller, you know, was, was, was successful for a couple of years. Yeah, uh, I, just, I just don't get it. Like, it doesn't hurt you at all to do it. So why not? That's the thing. The Rule 5 draft is one of those things that is a tr- is an opportunity to get an infusion of cheap, controllable talent into your team, right? Is it a long shot that they work out? Sure, but it's a low-risk long shot. It doesn't cost you virtually anything. It costs you $100,000 and you get this player. That's it. And that's nothing to a major league team. And so, yeah, I think it's a huge missed opportunity. Is it marginal to some degree? Because most Rule 5 picks don't work out? Sure. But add up all the little marginal things that the Royals keep, you know, missing the opportunity to do or miss a couple. And that's ultimately leads to like big things. They add up over time. And, you know, I'm, I'm just of the mind that they could have used some of the relievers that were in there. They could have used some of the starting pitchers that were in the four five draft. They could have used some of these guys and given them a chance instead of, you know, giving Michael a Taylor, like keeping Michael a Taylor. He still hasn't been traded uh, instead of, you know, uh, keeping Ryan O'Hearn on the roster. There are just so many opportunities to, have a go into, and, and that's the thing. Like typically you would say the worst teams, the teams that finish with the worst record have the worst rosters, right? So they make the most rule five picks. That's generally the case. The New York Mets who are going to have a payroll exceeding $300 million thought that their roster could use a rule five pick. They, you, they picked somebody in the rule five. If the Mets roster is bad enough that it could use a rule five pick, the Royals roster is bad enough that they could use two or three rule five picks. Okay. So I don't understand where the thinking is. I don't know why uh, they're making the decision to stick with guys who have proven that they don't belong either in the major leagues or on the Royals in the future. No problem. Michael A. Taylor's a very good player, but he's not a part of the next successful Royals team. I don't know why they made that decision. They did decide to select somebody during the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. They took a guy named Shervin Newton. He's a 23-year-old shortstop slash third baseman. and uh, He's old for his age, struggled at high A last year, has some physical tools, strikes out way too much. So we'll see on him. The Long shot guy. But again, in the, in the Rule 5 draft, you take long shots because that's what you should. It's free to do. If somebody said, hey, I'll give you this lottery ticket, it's virtually free. Would you take it? <laughs> yeah, I'd take it. I paid $10 for some yesterday. I definitely take it. It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. We haven't gotten a review in a while. We would love a review on Apple Podcasts or something like that so we can come out and read it on the air. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike can't have his figgy pudding until he gets his subscriber numbers up. His wife won't let him do that sort of thing. She's very hard on him. He needs help. Give him those subscriber numbers. Give him those awesome reviews. It's free. It takes about half a second, but it does us a world of good. So please jump in there and give us some reviews. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're tweeting up a storm these days. We're putting stuff out on Facebook and Instagram when we get time. We post a ton of additional content on there. So go ahead and give us a follow, and you can be part of the discourse that we're having there. For our spotlight segment this week, we are lucky to be joined by two very special guests. It would be very lucky if only one of these two people were to come on in an episode, but two of them have come on. Uh, one is Alex Duvall, who runs the Royals Farm Report uh, Twitter feed. He is the former host of the Royals Farm Report podcast and the editor-in-chief of Royals Farm Report, the blog. And then, of course, Alec Marsh, 
Royals pitching prospect, now a member of the 40-man roster, has joined us for this interview today, too. We are very excited to have him. We are very interested in the insights he can provide about himself as a pitcher, about the Royals minor league system, and about pitching development in the Royals minor league system. And so thank you very much, Alex, and thank you very much, Alec. I am going to mix that up. I guarantee during, gonna be tough. during this interview, uh, but thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for joining us, especially, or myself, especially. Sorry, Mike can't be here for this interview. He's having some baby illness issues, um, but he will join us for the regular episode you know, tomorrow. Uh, Alex, you have the, the uh, floor to, to ask our very first question. Go for it. First off, before we get into the, to the nitty gritty of all this, A, congratulations, Alec, on, on making the 40-man roster. I'm sure that's a it's a big career move. And even if it's, you know, the off season and we don't really know what spring training is going to hold you. I'm sure that feels good to, to know you're part of the plan moving forward to be on that roster is, is a cool career move. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm super excited. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you very much. I was, uh, one of the reasons I've stepped back from doing what I did last year is I watched a lot of minor league baseball last year you had one of the weirder seasons I've ever seen. It was kind of a tale of process and results. And one thing that I wanted to ask you about is like that. It, it is so hard. And, and coaching high school baseball, we, we kind of talk about this with our kids too, is like half of my job is to make sure you're ready for the next level. And the other half is to win while you're here. Yeah. And in minor league baseball, it's, the, it's kind of the same thing. And a lot of what you did last year was really good. But a lot of the results, it was just like you hate to just chalk sports up to being lucky and unlucky all the time. But it was like I, I've, I've never watched somebody get so consistently unlucky to the point where I'm questioning everything that was going on within the game. Um, for, for anybody listening, 364 batting average on balls in play is kind of unheard of. It was one of the highest marks in A. If you subtract ERA or FIP from ERA – it's kind of something we use again to judge that kind of like with hitters, we use X Woba 1.49 was the third highest mark of in all of double a. So your strikeouts were way up. So as you're having some success in some departments and you're having some bad luck in other departments, how do you remind yourself throughout the course of a season while you're trying to win games that ultimately it's the process that matters and stay positive in that regard? Yeah, man, it was really tough. I think, uh, especially week by week, I think there was a period of time where I went like, I gave up like seven runs in a row for like six starts or something like that. And it was, and it was prior. And I think I, I got, I ended up getting invited to the futures games after that happened. And it didn't make any sense to me when it, when that did happen. Um, but it was just kind of like a reassuring thing. Like, okay, like I know I'm really good. Like I know I have the stuff and I know I just need to keep working and it's eventually going to flip over. And my turning point didn't even end up happening until I got to AAA. And I think that was like, um, I just had a tough year in AA and obviously I yeah, had some unlucky stuff. But I think it was too like the controllables. I was so caught up on, um, I, I felt like every pitch had the, the weight of the world on my shoulders, right? Like, so there was a lot of things I needed to learn and go through. And I needed to go through that process in order to do what I, I'm doing this off season to get ready for next year. So I, um, I'm actually kind of grateful that all that stuff happened because it, it, it taught me a lot about myself and it taught me to, you know, keep getting up and keep fighting because it was a long season and it wasn't just long for me. Um, it was long for that whole team. That whole team had, had a rough year. So, um, Obviously, all the good guys got out early, and you know the math and 
stuff like that. But it was, uh, other than that, the guys that stayed, you know, they went through the grind and, um, I thought it only made us better in the end, but it was definitely something that needed to be happened. Yeah. We mentioned, we talked a little bit about process and how we can sort of focus on that instead of necessarily all the results. Baseball is such a, in some ways a results oriented game, but it's really the process that's going to get you there. I have a question about your process, and that is, what does your week look like? For some of our fans who don't know the the day in, day out for a, for a pitcher preparing, a starting pitcher especially, what does your week look like in terms of how you prepare for a given start? Who are you talking to? What kinds of information are you prioritizing as you prepare? Yeah, well, I think it changes as you move up the levels, right? Like when you're in, when you're in the rookie ball, the single A levels, it's kind of like you're still trying to find out who you are. And then once you get to double A or established, it's more of a prospect league, right? Everyone's got really good stuff. So then you're starting to figure out the scouting and, all right, how do I dissect teams? What guys do I have to look out for and keep that up in the bank when I'm pitching and stuff like that? But for a weekly, you know, uh, in double A, I think we were on a six-man rotation. So um, I throw a bullpen every three days. And I so I throw, you know, I got, I got start. I got two days. I'm lifting those two days doing conditioning and then my third day I'm throwing a bullpen um probably the day before the bullpen we're doing a scouting report checking out the other team um and then just watching the games watching these guys talking shop during games writing stuff down on all these hitters and um double a was more of a learning experience for the scouting department because that's not really that doesn't really get introduced um until you get to double a but once we're once we're there and we're we're doing all the scouting and stuff like that, and then it starts to come into play, and you start to think like, oh, like I, these are the top guys that I have to look out for, and then you end up having the year that I had, and it's like some things don't make sense, um, but you just keep going and you keep learning from those processes, and it was kind of something that clicked for me towards the end of the year, but it just you know just took longer than normal. So how much how much of that information is that you get in a given week is about yourself and about what you're doing in those bullpens or what you're doing in those outings? Do you get to see stuff about your own spin rates and how they're working, your own movement and things like that? Yeah, it's a lot. It's very much so. And some of it can be, um, you know, overbearing. Some of it can be, you know, not enough. It's kind of finding that middle ground, right? Because we're in a day and age where analytics are so important and we've made that transition where, you know, we're, we're throwing a wrap soda machines and bullpens. We're getting that instantaneous feedback. And um, if, if something's not working like it used to, then you're trying to figure that out, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of like for, I mean, we can make an example of 2020. I was a very, you know, high vert guy. I was throwing fastballs at the top of the zone that were getting a lot of swing and miss and stuff like that. And then um, I went through an injury coming back in this double A season um, I started throwing a lot more cutters, so it kind of was messing with my command. So trying to figure that stuff out and catch play, figure it out on the mound um, and pulling all that stuff together can be a, a grueling process because you're just you're just button heads with people. You're trying to figure things out. You're like, why, why is stuff not the same? And then you're just constantly focused on um, the wrong stuff, right? Because, when I mean, as a pitcher, all it comes down to is execution. Um, and that was something that took me a long time to learn, something that I'm still studying on. But it's like execution is the only thing that matters when you're on the mound. Um, but when you start thinking about things like, oh, you know, like I need to be here and checkpoint this and checkpoint that and things get out of control. Marcus was asking about information. And one thing I love talking to pitchers about is when do you decide to go your strength versus a hitter's weakness? And, and maybe you can identify like, hey, here's a hitter who, let's just say, for example, that 
Alec Marsh's best out pitch for versus a lefty is a slider down and in, but you have a left-handed hitter coming up who that's his best pitch to hit. Mm-hmm. And there's always this fun battle between here's my best pitch, which is also your favorite pitch to hit the pitch you have the most success on when, like how much fun is it to go through different hitters and, and scout them? But like, at what point, like, have you ever, have you ever seen a guy think, that guy is so good against what I do well. Mm-hmm. He's he's so good. I'm willing to go a different direction and try something else. Definitely, but it's also like, oh, I can't wait to because he hasn't seen mine yet, right? So yeah. it's like, it's like the mono mono. Yeah, it's like it's like the Gagne versus Bonds, right? The hundred mile heater versus the power hitter. Um, you know that stuff. It gets really fun because it's like, oh, like you know, I know I can get him here, but then part of it's the mind game where you're trying to set it up. Where it's like you're making them look away, look away, look away. All right, slider down and in. Let's that's putting yourself in a better position where your strength plays even more. I think is um, and especially when you start to move up the levels, you start to realize that a little more. Uh, and, and hitters are kind of just looking in their certain zones because they know their weaknesses and they're not messing with that. So you really got to know. Like some guys will just cut the plate in half and they won't. Even, I've seen guys, especially when I got to AAA, they're just taking really good pitches and. And and sometimes they're not even in really good locations, but it's just not the hitter's location. So he's waiting for you to make a mistake in his zone, and he won't miss that zone. Um, so some, some yeah, sometimes it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's definitely fun. When last question about your your process here, and then I've got I want to ask you about something specific from Double A this past year. Have you ever faced a hitter? And, and I know you didn't get to pitch in the futures game, but you are around all those guys, so maybe one of them mm-hmm. stands out, but. Have you ever faced a hitter when they step in the box, you've got a game plan, and it's a maybe maybe it's a really good hitter. You know it's a guy who's gonna have a lot of success. You know you need to work ahead. You throw a really good first pitch and he spits on it mm-hmm. and you're just shit. Yeah. Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker is probably back in, in double A. Um he hit a lot of balls really hard off me. <clears throat> I think I might have got him a couple times, but it was like I mean I just remember that same scenario. I think I threw an OO changeup to him because that was something that he was you know we were able to roll, he was able to roll those over and possibly get a ground ball. There was a guy in first, so we're trying to we're trying to beat stuff into the ground with him because he's going to make contact. He's not a guy that's going to swing and miss a lot. Um, and it was it was probably one of the better changeups I just remember throwing in a long time, and there wasn't even any budge to it, right? And that's kind of like. As a pitcher, you're like, damn, dude. like you know, like, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like now I really got to work, yeah. you know, because he's he's looking for something and he's looking for something good, and then, um, you know, next thing you know, he hits some one ten into the gap, and it's like, okay, that's awesome. So we had Nicholas Batters on the Royals Farm Report podcast before we folded it up, and he was saying that, and I don't know how I missed this. I never, I never heard about this. I never saw it during the season. But they changed the balls on you guys twice last year, where they were they were experimenting with different. It was the different rub on the ball, right? So different mm-hmm. textures, different uh, thicknesses, different materials, whatever it was, and they changed it on you twice. How how hard is it? And I, and I think the average fan, uh, because everybody's I mean, not everybody, but everybody's thrown a baseball, right? And everybody thinks, well, it can't be that hard to throw it if it's different. It's just a here. It is. It is with, yeah. when you're talking about very precise grips and pressures. 
trying to rip a ball 95 miles an hour. Like the, the slightest like misapplication of that, of that mud or whatever it is can, yeah. can make all kinds of difference. How, how hard was it to adjust at the, every time they change the ball on you? It's definitely, you know, and like, I mean, back to going to things that I've learned a lot over the past even month or so since the season and what I'm doing in the off season is like, I'm really focused on like controlling what I can control. And I, and we, had, I remember, I remember when that happened because a lot of guys were just like pissed off. Like it just, it, it felt a lot different. It did. It took me about three weeks to figure out my slider again. Um, but like when you're in that, I mean, you're in the season, there's nothing you can do. Right. So it's like, it is what it is. You got to make it work. You got to figure it out. And I always think about, you know, I mean, when you're in the backyard playing wiffle ball, you get one that's really scuffed up. You get one that's not. You still figure out a way, right? So that's kind of the mentality behind uh, behind that. But yeah, it definitely plays a factor. You got to start figuring out, um, you know, even messing with different grips or messing with different rosin techniques and stuff like that. Just because some some of them you can't really get a grip on them. And 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 I think the hardest thing for guys was the balls that were coming out in games. Not one of them felt the same. There were some that were chalky. There were some that were a little, you know, a little rubbed up more. There were some that weren't rubbed up more. Um, and we're in a game of consistency. So that definitely helps when that stuff feels consistent. But, I mean, what are we going to do? We don't make the rules, right? We're just there to throw balls. So sometimes you got to just throw in the back pocket. We mentioned a little bit uh, before this interview started, we were talking a little bit about uh, the change in Royals pitching development. I'm curious what's been communicated to you about the changes in Royals pitching development? that have taken place over the last couple of months? And did that impact how you approach the offseason in any sort of way? Yeah, definitely. Um, they're working. So we got these. We got this guy, Justin Friedman. We got, um, I mean, Mitch Stetter's been there for a while on the analytical side, but they made up some really, really good um, just throwing programs and, and drills and stuff for us to do based on what our numbers were with our physicals. And, you know, I did a couple mocaps with the Royals where I went to Nebraska and I put on, you know, the motion sensors and we got a really, we got an in-depth skeletal look at biomechanics and stuff like that. So, um, they're putting together, they put together this pamphlet. That's really, really nice. It's easy access. It's something that's been a big change for us this off season. Um, and I think the biggest, I went, I went down there to camp during instructs and stuff and was just talking to the guys that were around that were doing the new stuff with, with Friedman and Stetter and, they really liked it. Everyone seemed like they were into it. And even all the strength coaches and everybody was like, you know, this is the best instructs we've had um, from a productive, like a productivity standpoint, because everything is laid out a lot smoother. It's um, it's tailored as well. So not everyone's doing the same thing. If someone needs a certain drill, that's going to help them. If someone needs a certain apply ball technique or something like that, then it's tailored to them. Um, and that ends up, that's, I mean, that's where you, you have a base level where everyone has the same drills, right? And once you get into professional baseball and you want to start, if you want to get to the big leagues, you got to do things that separates yourself from other people, right? And that's kind of the approach they're taking, which is nice. Everyone's kind of getting their own treatment um, and getting their, their own ideas on different drills and stuff that's helping out with their body. That's going to allow them to move in a specific manner to get the best of, you know, what they can get out of their body, so. You were you, you mentioned earlier that you were you were coming back from an injury and as you came back everything was a little bit different. You start cutting the ball versus getting a lot of rise at the top of the zone. How much of that do you think was intentional 
And how much of that, like going into an off season now where you maybe feel a little more comfortable, you've kind of had a year to look back and go, okay, I'm cutting the ball a little bit more. Like, is that something that you feel like with this, with the, with the new group that you'll be able to play into? And I'm not saying you're going to turn into Mariano Rivera and just throw cutters all the time, yeah. but like, like you can specifically, Hey, I'm going to throw a cutter here versus yeah. just letting your fastball cut a little bit naturally. I've definitely thought about that, and I kind of wish almost at the time we would have changed the grip and just went to a cutter or something that played a little better. Um, because I think it was, I think it was more of a mental thing for me, where I was like, I just kept bugging myself about it, and I wanted it back so bad because when my heater played it, and what it was in twenty twenty was unreal. Like, I just got a lot of swing and miss in area where I, even if I missed the spot with where I was throwing, I could get away with it. Whereas in double A this past year, like if I were to miss in a certain direction, I wasn't getting away with, you know, 94 in that spot anymore. Um, so that was a struggle for me and it kind of messed with me up here a little bit. Um, it just, I was just banging my head against the wall for it for a while. And I, sometimes I wish I would have gone back and kind of just taken a deep breath and like, all right, let's figure something else out for now. When we get into the off season, we'll get the heater back because we'll be in a more controlled environment. But right now it's about competing. Right. So that's kind of what it came down to. I mean, I think the last like month and a half of the season, um, the stats were the stats and the, the wins and losses were the wins and losses. And I was like, all right, like there's nothing we can do to fix that at this point. Right. So now let's just go out there and compete with what I have and then we'll figure it out in the off season. Whatever happens, happens. Um, and that's when I started to kind of relax a little bit. I felt a lot better mentally. Um, and that definitely, definitely helped to kind of transition into the off season for sure. Last thing I want to ask you about before we ask about the the off season some more is something you made me think of while you were talking there is the idea that something I tweeted about it recently too and it, and it cracks me up because pitchers are throwing harder than they ever have more consistently with better builds and shapes to their fastballs. It's the best fastballs we've ever seen, and simultaneously throwing fewer of them all the time. Yeah, I can imagine that getting to a point in your career where you can reach back and get 97, whatever, maybe you need it living mm -hmm. in the 90s is just a great feeling. And then analyzing the data a little more is like, man, like the trend is to stop throwing them like how and, and maybe you haven't. This isn't something that you've done yourself, but is is there something to that? Like, is there something to the idea that we've, we've, we have an era of the best fastballs ever and we're throwing fewer of them? Or do you think it's like maybe we've just been so far behind on the idea? Because, by the way, the reason I'm thinking about this for anybody listening is Alec throws two very good, very distinct breaking balls. And in my head, it would probably be easy for you to sit there and think, well, I throw 95, I'm going to throw 95. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's like, man, I throw two really good breaking balls too. It's almost like I don't have – yeah. time to throw all my fun pitches like I'm running yeah. out of, of stuff to do so I don't know is that something that you think is interesting or is there something to it I mean it's definitely I think just because of how good the breaking balls are too right like it's not just the fastballs that have played up but the movement pitches are just so much harder to hit and guys are realizing that too and they're only getting better and they're getting harder and that's because they're so hard to, that's why they're using like heaters as a setup pitch it's because of the tunneling right because guys sliders are 88 to 92 now 
So it's like, that's a normal fastball or used to be a normal fastball and it's sticking on plane for so long and then dropping off. And it's almost like to the human eye, it's almost like impossible to distinguish. Um, but I think, yeah, too, like even, even looking back on the season, like there was days where I was just like, my fastball sucks right now. I'm just going to throw a ton of sliders and stuff. And like, we completely flipped the script. I mean, we tried everything and it was like, I was almost getting the same result with all these new things I was trying, but there was some days where I was like, all right, I would make it to the fourth with like one hit, no runs. And I would have thrown, you know, I started instead of throwing 20 sliders, I threw 35, 40. And it was like, okay, well that makes, you know, all right, let's keep playing with that. We'll try that. And you know, we'll mix it up a little bit, but then, um, but then it was taken away from my heater even more. So it's just like finding that balance and finding what works best. Um, sometimes it's just trial and error. We were we were talking about the the new uh, guys that are in, and there's there's been kind of this wave of change in the in, in terms of who's running the the pitching side of things for the Royals. Do you have any hopes? Like this is kind of where I hope that the the direction the organization will go. Like anything that. And and maybe we don't go back and talk about what was, but moving forward, like, is there anything that you're looking forward to? Anything exciting? Anything that you've seen a small glimpse of this offseason instructs that specifically has you really excited for where the organization's heading? Yeah, I think what I mentioned earlier, like about what I saw in instructs and just talking to the guys and what Friedman and, and all those, you know, and the new guys are doing, it's just like, it's reassuring that, okay, we're getting it, you know, like we're on the right path. We're starting to use analytics a little more. We're starting to tailor programs to guys because this is what they need. Um, and I think that's the biggest excitement for me and having the new man- management in uh, the big leagues as well to see how these guys do. I've only heard great things about uh, Sweeney and Crunchwell and stuff like that, but it's been great. So i um, very excited to see what goes on up there and um, – you know, hopefully getting there too is, is going to be exciting. So, will you do anything this off season that kind of ramps up your um, timeline for being ready now that you're on the forty man roster, or do you think you'll probably treat this like a normal off season? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I went through this same process two years ago because I went to Big League Camp in 2020, um, and that was coming off the alt site. So we had a late, you know, we were playing all the way into like November. I think it was or something like that. So we were playing super late and then we had an earlier spring training. Um, or for me, it was earlier because I was going to big league camp. So I kind of have a feeling for what that's like. And um, not only have the feeling for what it's like to be injured and come into spring training too hot versus coming into spring to, you know, too cold. Like last year, I was like, oh, I need to throw a full season. So I came in with, I, I, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. So now I kind of know where the middle ground is and what I got to do to show up to, uh, give myself the best chance um, to show these guys what I'm about and also be healthy. So with that in mind, is there anything that you would say in 2023, I'm going to prepare to be better at X. What's that thing for you that I want to be better at this going into 2023? For me, it's up top. Um, Physically I'm, I'm 99% where I'm at physically. I mean, I, I lift the house. I do everything from the nutrition standpoint to, you know, I'm really locked in with routines and stuff like that, but I've been really crushing the uh, mental performance stuff this off season because that was where I struggled. I think in double A I was, you know, I was always caught up on the last pitch. I was never focused on, um, you know, where my feet were at, you know, so I was always letting that bug me. Um, And that's, that's just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Obviously we thought so. Um, 
kind of, it's been really good for me because I've gotten rid of stress and anxiety and all this kind of stuff. So it's been, it's been great. I'm definitely going in at 23 as a, as a new person and definitely one that's uh, way more advanced because I'm focused on, you know, they always say like 90% mental, right? I was always, I always thought it was 90% physical. And then I started the stuff on the whole side and it's really making sense. So. That's awesome. I think I can't wait to see sort of what that looks like in practice. Awesome. I think, I think you, it might be noticeable if you looked at, you'll be able to look at 2022 film and 2023 yeah. film. At least you will be able to see like, oh, the difference in the, in what that looks like physically. Yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed the biggest difference in the last two months of my life too. Just, I mean, from a training standpoint, from even playing catch to getting off the mound here and there too. It's been, it's been great. That's so. Awesome. All right. Well, I have a fun question to sort of end us off here and I'll have to give credit to my partner because she's a foodie who kind of came up with this question. You are from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. famous for its exquisite cheeses. Yes. Okay. F. Mary Kill, Gouda, Cheddar, Brie, go. F. Mary Kill, Gouda, Brie, and what was the other one? Cheddar. Cheddar. I'm Mary and Cheddar and F and Brie. Yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right. All right. You and I are on the same page on this one. So I did not realize you were from Wisconsin. I don't honestly, I don't know why. It's because you went to Arizona State. And even like when we started this, I'm like, I just don't know if I buy it. And then I don't remember what you said earlier. Go maybe or no. I was like, ah, there it is. Like, okay. There it is. I can hear it. I can hear it in the O. The way that the O comes off the, is. The eggs, the, you know, the bags and the. <laughs> all my, all my eggs. I get made fun of. Every time I go home, I come back. It's a little stronger, but. <laughs> he was telling me before we got started, that I can't handle the cold up there. I'm in Arizona right now. You know, I don't go back for long stretches anymore because it's too but cold. Yeah, it's, there. Just, it's too many clouds, too. I need the sunshine. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alec. Thank you for joining me, Alex. I really appreciate it. Loved having you on. Very insightful stuff. Hope you have a great 2023. We'll be watching. I'm coming down for spring training, so I'll say hi to you while I'm down there. Uh, Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate you guys. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just About Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike. You got, you're busy all the time now with baby stuff and teaching stuff and taking naps and eating McDonald's. What (laughs) in that crazy schedule? That sums it up. Throw in drinking whiskey and that is literally my whole life. (laughs) What Um, in that crazy schedule has jumped out to you as particularly interesting for the last month or so? So it's going to be related to the uh, child that I have. I want to, I just, this is more of a story. So I just want to tell the the listening audience what happened. My son has been when since he was born has been quite robust, right? He's he's a heavier kid, you know, in the higher percentiles, very active. Bench is 270, so that's nice. Bench is 270, you know. Uh but just wait till you see him on the Roman deadlift. This this kid's just killing it. But uh he really hadn't ever been sick. He did get thrush for like a small little bit for those of you who don't know. I know all the, all the baby names or all the illnesses for babies sound like they're from the 1500s. I swear to God. I was going to say thrush sounds like such an old time. He's been burdened with the thrush. (laughs) What is your, is your baby a Victorian barber? (laughs) Yes, he is. Okay. Um, He got the consumption. That's all I (laughs) can 
No, and so you had thrush, but it wasn't that bad. Thrush, for those of you that don't have children or don't know, never had children that had it. It's it's basically like a, a small fungal infection in his mouth, right? Real easy to fix for him anyway. He didn't get it real bad, so it was really easy for him. Gross. Um, so he'd never been sick. He's nine months old, never been sick. He got on an airplane by himself. Kids advanced. Okay. He went to Arizona. No, he went to Arizona with my wife. I know. He went to Arizona with my wife to visit family over Thanksgiving. That kid has not stopped being sick since he got on that airplane. Has not stopped. Double ear infection. Now he has hand, foot, and mouth. He, I think we have. We think he has another ear infection. He's been to the doctor more in the last like three weeks than he did from the time he was born to nine months. Airplanes are disgusting. Okay. Oh yeah. And that's that's my my little rant there. We've already I think talked about how airlines are like criminal. Oh yeah. And like they are terrible. Mm-hmm. But they're just cesspools, and they broke my child. So I'm pretty pretty pissed about that. You should see my kid. He's got like, he looks like a mutant. He's got like stuff all over his face. My, they got my boy. They got my boy. They got my boy. They massacred yeah, well, my boy. Well, that's just, you know, uh, yeah, that's rough. And he's a just a, adorable as all heck. So um, Not right now. Well, <laughs> let me tell you this. Uh, in 2019, I got on a train in uh, in London and I saw a dude on there wearing like this ventilator mask thing. And I'm like, most well, dudes go, this is a little overkill, isn't it, guy? I mean, come on, we're just on that train here. Cookies. Then COVID happened, and now I'm like, I will never get on a plane or a train again without a mask on. Will not happen. <laughs> You're like, that guy was a visionary. He was an innovator. Wow. He knew. Because they were gross <laughs> back then, too. It wasn't just COVID. They were, it was all gross back then, too. We just, you know, gleefully ignored it all, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> Don't get on planes are gross. Trains are gross. It's all gross. I'm wearing a mask from now on, no matter what. I'm going to talk about something more pleasant and happy. And that is the show Killing Eve. Okay. Pleasant and happy is maybe not the right way to describe (laughs) it. Uh, (laughs) It's a pleasant experience. It's a fun thing to watch. And I just started watching it again because the new season came out and I was going to sort of rewatch the last one and then watch the new one. But my partner hadn't seen any of it. And so we just started watching the whole thing over again. And I am reminded how amazing this television show is the writing is incredible the acting is incredible the direction is incredible it is just a fantastic show it's actually written by phoebe waller bridge who if you don't know who that is she wrote and and starred in the show fleabag she uh wrote the newest james bond movie i'm pretty sure she's done so many things and is such a phenomenal writer and it's just a tremendous show very talented lady fleabag's to another incredible show. If you've never seen it, very funny. Um, the weird thing is killing Eve is about this psychopathic assassin and the woman who is trying to catch her, like who's like British intelligence trying to catch this assassin and the weird relationship that they form. And it's really, uh, really amazing, but it's also got very funny moments in it. And so if you get a chance, check out killing Eve, it's on Hulu. Wonderful show. I think it's got three or four seasons now. I think four. And this, I think it was the last episode, but uh, Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer, the two actresses who star in it, do just an incredible job. Um, and so, yeah, I highly, highly recommend. That's what I'm watching these days. That's what's getting me through this harsh winter without Royals baseball. Mike, what else do we have for this episode? 
We don't have anything else. We're done. All right. Then we're done for this, for this episode <laughs> of Royals Weekly. Thank you for joining us. That's it. Thank you so much to Alec Marsh for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Alex Duvall. We really appreciate you coming on as well. We'll try and get Alex on as much as we possibly can uh, as we move forward. Um, but thank you all for joining us, for listening. We'll be back again in a, about a month, I would say. Um, until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. Go Royals.